Welcome to the People, Planet, Profit podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by Dylan Frank. Dylan is a proud Indigenous man from the Ningba Nation, Northwest New South Wales. Dylan is the founder and managing director of Woomera Group, a majority Indigenous-owned and managed survey spatial business servicing the construction, property and infrastructure sectors. Dylan has a natural ability to communicate a clear vision and engage with people from all walks of life. He has a proven history of building teams and business systems while strongly aligning business practices with positive social change for Indigenous Australians. Dylan has strong experience working with Tier 1s in the construction, property and infrastructure industries, as well as delivering projects within the Indigenous sector. He specialises in liaising with Indigenous communities, elders, local land councils and key stakeholders to successfully deliver culturally sensitive projects, all while creating employment and educational opportunities for Indigenous Australians. Outside of work, Dylan's passionate about all things in the ocean, sport, family and the mighty Sydney Roosters. I'm more of a swans and rabbitohs girl myself. I'm proud that the Woomera Group are the Supply Chain Sustainability School's first Indigenous Fellows and welcome Dylan to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Hayley. Time to be here. <laughs> uh, we're going to chat through a few different questions today um, and we will cut ourselves short um, and make sure we're not going for hours, which can usually happen when you're chatting about a few of these <laughs> things. Um, so I'm really grateful that you've managed to spend some time with us today and particularly um, providing your insights to everybody listening um, on just areas that they just may not be aware of or may not know um, how things work. So I suppose the obvious first question is, what's it like running an Indigenous business in Australia? Um, for me, it, I think it's definitely uh, very rewarding. Um, at the moment, we've put together a Pathways program for Indigenous students. Um, so we partner with TAFE New South Wales um, and put them through like a, an intensive four-week program that started in January. Uh, we had 11 students and eight of the students completed it and which they're going to start with us next week full-time, which is, for me, is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome um, just to see them uh, working full-time, um, how much excitement they get out of it is pretty rewarding for me. Um, I think it's also very challenging. There are a lot of stigma around Indigenous businesses. Um, I think one of the main things is a lot of people especially in procurement, I think most of the businesses are geared towards like um, art and tourism. Um, but there, there's a lot of uh, businesses like myself that work in the construction infrastructure um, space and in te te the tech space. Um, so breaking down those barriers is definitely challenging. And I think mm -hmm. that the other thing that's really good is um, the Indigenous business ecosystem. So that sort of refers to Indigenous businesses procuring off other Indigenous businesses. So mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of like small Indigenous businesses that could just function on working with other Indigenous businesses. And it is a small, small space. Everyone sort of knows everyone, which is, which is a good and probably could be a bad thing as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that um, one of the things you said really resonates with me and that is around just that, the stereotype of what Indigenous businesses do um and and really sort of breaking through that stereotype of because I think that you're right I think when most sort of even like big construction projects think oh I've got an Indigenous procurement target they automatically go to artworks on the side yeah. of things um or pulling people in for consultations about things but not necessarily getting them to do much um yeah. and I think that there's that real 
that is that that stigma still exists um, in a lot of different areas of, of, of lack of diversity in different areas, yep. you know. Um, like I can speak to it from the place of a woman coming in that, you know, typically the women's roles are predefined, you know. We direct traffic, we are the sustainability managers, we work in HR, you know, and they're sort of the areas that people look to and trying to break that cycle of, of what that means um, and really get out there is, is key, I think, to really understanding what happens. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are, you know, pretty much for every area, you know, if you, if you procure something from someone, chances are there's an Indigenous business that you can buy that from as well, um, whether that's, you know, land surveying services you know, free plug, or whether it's, you know, stationary or, you know, recruiting people in, you know, there's always, whether you're buying goods or services, there's definitely a full catalogue out there. Um, and I did mention before that, like, you're part of different groups that list those organisations and there's certainly a few of them around where you can actually go and search up um, what, type, what Indigenous businesses are out there um, and really getting in there. I think one of the other wonderful things that's happened um, out of the tragicness of all of the bushfires that happened a couple of years ago in Australia is the community response um, to Indigenous land management and using traditional practices as a way um, of, of not so much having an alternative, like that was the standard for a long time, <laughs> yeah. but really reconnecting with a lot of those practices and, and appreciating and having a true sense of value for that connection to land um, yeah. and what that different perspective really offers. And I think that's something that um, I find really special and that most Australians should really reconnect with, um, that if you aren't aware of who your local Indigenous um, organisations and people and community organisations are, you should definitely go back in and get there because it will just really open your mind up to um, a different way of thinking. But is that something that you found as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think there, there's a lot of great free resources out there for you to learn off, for people to learn off. Um, and I'll probably plug Supply Nation as one of them. Um, yeah. You can just, if, if you wanted to engage with any type of Indigenous business, you can just jump on there and say, look, we want land surveying services or technology services, anything. Um, and then a, a list of businesses in the area will pop up. Um, I think it's a, a hugely underutilised resource, uh, Supply Nation. So I suppose in that vein, there's probably the next the next question probably leads on from that, and that is um, people that are in procurement and they're looking for an Indigenous business, there's probably, like we said, there's a lot of stereotypes that we need to break down with what that then means and in the types of areas. But what are three things that you wish that people in procurement knew about Indigenous businesses that they might not know? I think the first one's definitely um, that Indigenous businesses are usually just normal businesses. They're just owned by Indigenous people. So there's, I think there's a bit of a stigma also around the, a lot of Indigenous businesses being social businesses, but most of the Indigenous business are for profit. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, they, Indigenous businesses are 100 times more likely to employ Indigenous staff. Um, and they also employ like a diverse range of, of people as well. Um, and most are small, small businesses. So... It's it's tough trying to have that stigma around oh it's a social business but we're really for profit and then you know they these businesses really do need to be profitable because they are employing the most indigenous people. Um, I think the other thing is what we touched on before is definitely the wide range of sectors that indigenous businesses are operating in. Um, like you said, you know the procurement people go for the art 
the the um, consultation stuff that that's definitely true and there is a big um, number of indigenous businesses in those spaces but you know there is a lot in technical um, professional services which we operate um, and yeah just breaking those things down um, yeah. is is probably the main sort of things that I I believe uh, procurement people don't get but there's a, a list of many which I could yeah. yarn about like, <laughs> for hours but we've we've only got 10 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Um, And, you know, a lot of stereotypes to break down and changing people's habits and behaviours. And I think that, you know, I think one thing if I had to add to that, one thing I would say is that um, to to try it out, like I think people have a lot of sort of set people they go to for certain procurement types and they just go to the person who they went to last time. Um, And the one thing I wish that um, people in procurement would know, and I think that especially with COVID, we're sort of used to disruption. I would say yep. try someone new, right? Like um, like you said, there's a lot of businesses out there that are that are fully qualified, capable people. You're not doing them a favour. This is a legitimate business opportunity uh, with great people and you get the benefit of saying that you work with an Indigenous-owned business. So I think that's definitely, um, you know, we're talking sustainability about how much it costs to to be sustainable. And I think that this is just such an easy win. You're already spending the money, just spend it on someone who's actually doing that extra little bit in the community and supporting Indigenous businesses. Um, and it really it really just makes a massive difference to those communities for such a little effort on your part. So I really hope that um, anyone working in procurement that's listening can really sort of take that on board and really sort of take on that challenge of, um, you know, when something comes up, just have a look, you know, look through the Supply Nation database, make sure you've got, you know, if you don't have one Indigenous business in your tender process, then you've done something wrong. You know, you should have yep. at least one. Um, and I if think they're it comes, not applying, you should go out and seek it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes back to um, pr- putting this in the procurement process. So having, say, your Supply Nation in the process, let's, you know, as, as a line item, first of all, let's go see if there's any Indigenous businesses. Um, I think that's a really powerful way of, of getting that normalised. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, you know, and like you said, that I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes and people thinking around all of those different areas. I mean, I've been in workshops where um, someone's announced Indigenous employment targets or, do, you know, women, uh, female employment targets, um, and the questions pop up around, oh, do we have to spend extra time and what if they make mistakes and, you know, all that, those sort of, you know, oh, it's so hard, I've tried that and it's just, you know, and you just kind of like, oh, yeah, right, there's a thousand excuses you could pull mm. at the same time, like there are more than capable people out there, you've just got to give them a go um, to demonstrate and show themselves. So um, hopefully we can get more work coming your way um, and through everyone else on the um, Supply Nation list and um, all of the other Indigenous-owned businesses that are doing some wonderful work out there. Um, and so, I mean, we've talked about a few different areas um, around things that we wish we could change and stereotypes we wish we could go. But, I mean, you know, I just touched on one common one that I hear about a myth of that, you know, you're going to make more mistakes, that you're going to need more yep. time, that... Um, you know, it just it's more effort and harder to do this sort of thing. But what is, are there any other myths that you wish that we could bust for you this year um, around working with Indigenous businesses or someone just like your business in particular? Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty closely aligned to what you were just talking about and it's probably around the value for money piece. 
Um, I, I know that term gets thrown around a lot in the procurement space, um, but what does it, it sort of actually mean and, and does it actually get action? So I think for, for a small business, we spend a lot of time in the tender process addressing this value for money piece, which is a, a lot of times like diversity, um, slavery, um, and environmental factors, et cetera. Um, and, and I think it is, I think we're lucky to live in a country where these things do get addressed. Um, but um, they, I feel like it's a, it opens a door into the tender process. But then once you're in that door, it, the tender is really about a race to the bottom on rates. And then being a small business, I feel like um, when, you, when you're up against bigger business, um, trying to action those, those pieces is, is really hard when the, the, the margins are really slim. So I think um, trying to address that value for money piece and, and make sure it gets um, you know, actioned upon throughout the whole tender process is something that I, I wish that would, like the myth would get busted, I suppose. Um, are there other myths you want to see busted? Um, I think, or I think something around maybe like electric vehicles and EV uptake. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, I think I think the government doesn't have the trust in Australians that we will uptake it. But I think if it was more accessible, affordable, and there was more investment um, and policy, I suppose that I think many people would would definitely uh, buy more electric vehicles and take up the electric um, technology a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, in terms of um, reducing the country's carbon emissions, it just seems such an easy one for Australia, right? Like we've got access yep. to amazing solar energy that we can um, charge our vehicles with complete, you know, free of charge or, you know, just plug it into your home PV system, um, you know, zero you know emissions from producing the electricity once you've got it installed, you know, with probably a, a very small embodied carbon setup cost compared to, say, coal-fired power station. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that you're right in terms of that just seems such an easy one for every tradie in the country. Like bring on more yeah. EV utes coming in yeah. um, and then accessing fleet changes I think is amazing. And I'm, I was really happy to see the um, New South Wales government commit to switching their fleet to EV vehicles, yeah. um, not for just the signal that it sends, but, of course, government ex-lease vehicles are, are massive on the second-hand market. So. Yeah. Um, it just gives so many more people that opportunity into that secondhand EV space. So the more people who buy them new, the more it'll come about secondhand and makes it so much more accessible to the whole community as well as to stepping up that challenge. So um, I think you're right. It's easy. It is easy to do. Um, yeah. And it's just, um, yeah, getting and, and thinking there. I know I, um, I switched to a hybrid a few years ago because um, that's what you could get and you're <laughs> yeah. trying to get around there. Um and I just, even now, I still I still forget to even put petrol in a thing every six months or so. Like, I can oh, go really? back to yeah. my bank account and really look at when the last time it was. <laughs> really? and, um, yeah, that's it awesome. just feels that long between drinks. So, um, it definitely, it makes a massive difference to the environment and also to your hip pocket, especially with petrol, yep. you know, pushing two bucks a litre at the moment. Yeah. So, um, if that's not a big enough incentive for people to go electric, I don't know what it is yeah. at this stage. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's all good. And I think, you know, in terms of you've spoken a lot about just running small businesses in Australia as well and, um, you know, Small Business Month is coming up next month and there's just a lot of challenges that small businesses face that 
large businesses sort of take for granted. And I've had a, the privilege of working in large businesses and in small businesses. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I always joke about in a small business is in a large business, you know, there's always another department that takes care of that. Yeah. In a small business, there's no one else. It's you. So, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which makes meetings really easy <laughs> to get agreement and move forward yeah. with things. Um, yeah. And I think that there are so many small businesses in Australia that can really push those innovative practices together. So I'm, I was really not surprised when you mentioned earlier the fact that other, you know, small Indigenous businesses support each other um, yeah. because you can. Like, you know, moving a small business around and taking that decision is something that you can so easily do. Um, and whilst we all talk about, like, you know, converting the big guys for um makes big changes but you know what it's even bigger a change to switch all the little guys around so everyone operating a small business who's listening i think really just see what you can do from your small business perspective you know even the little bits that you buy you can make a massive difference in how to change that um you know and and even if it's just the little things like your stationery start somewhere um and really have a I think just make conscious purchasing decisions is probably the best thing I can say, like understand where it is and where it comes from and um, at least be aware that you're not looking at things. So was it, like you mentioned, like modern slavery, you go, well, that's a big, big, big ticket item that you're probably getting a lot of questions about. What can you do from your small business and what, you know, and I know us yeah. as a school put a lot of educational materials and resources in that space as well. So I think it's kind of tapping into that collective, right? Um, yep. I, I'm very privileged to run a small not-for-profit um, that is, you know, a massive value on collaboration. And one of the reasons why we're even talking today is just sharing what you know um, yep. and helping other small businesses out, you know, um, sharing those tips and tricks and busting those myths and, you know, sharing those little snippets of intel of what you wish the other people in that conversation um, would know just to try and break down some of those barriers um, and never letting great get in the way of good, right? Just start something, do something today. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think being a part of the school has been awesome too because there is so, so much resource um, and it's all really thought-provoking, um, which has been really powerful for us. Amazing. Glad to hear that we've got one happy customer. (laughs) (laughs) As always, it has been awesome to have a yarn with you, Dylan. um, And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Hayley. It was awesome. And thank you for listening to the People, Planet, Profit podcast. Until the next episode, bye. Bye.